You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime, Really, the best way to describe this person is my just my everything. It's at Eric Bilala. Phil, great to be joining you. And I know you're excited because you are right for once. Yes, I, I think that if you are an avid listener of the Neutral Zone, you'll know that I predicted that the Broncos will take Jerry Judy. And uh, it's almost like I'm a Nostradamus or something. I saw into the future. Did you sneak a peek at the war room or something? Yeah, I, I broke into Ellie's house and I saw exactly <laughs> what, uh, what was drawn up, all the plans, and uh, I hopped on here and I reported it all. <laughs> Smart, and you got away with it too. Exactly. Hopefully John's not listening. The, uh, the Scooby-Doo gang wasn't even able to stop you. Exactly. This is our post-draft edition of the Neutral Zone and uh, let, it, let me tell you what we have planned for this show. We're going to do a quick review of all the picks, talk about what we think uh, each guy is going to be able to contribute and just our overall thoughts on the picks. Then we'll uh, dive in and say who do we think is going to have the biggest impact in 2020, obviously beside Jerry Judy, maybe which one of these guys will we see on the field the most. We'll go over some sleepers. And what questions do we still have? You know, the Broncos didn't really address the left tackle position. We'll dive into that a little bit. And then uh, what are the expectations now that the roster, for the most part, is set? Of course, the Broncos can still make some free agent additions. But now that the roster is mostly in place, what do we think? Did the Broncos do enough to be back in the playoff picture? So uh, we got a big show coming up. Eric, are you ready for all that? Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so obviously in the first round, the Broncos, they stayed pat. They they took Jerry Judy, the wide receiver, out of Alabama at 15. Uh, Eric, were you surprised that he was still available there? Because that was the number one wide receiver on their board. Yeah, I think the number one wide receiver on most boards, Phil, and if not him, then C.D. Lamb. And so I was pretty shocked when Henry Ruggs went off the board at 12 to the Raiders. You know, I, as they started to pick, I said, okay, well, Jerry Judy's going to be gone or CeeDee Lamb's going to be gone, but at least one of those guys will probably be there at 15. And, man, the, the Raiders just – the Raiders are going to Raider, I feel like. You know, like they do their own thing, and uh, they left Jerry Judy there for them at 15. And he's a player that, as you mentioned, could make an impact right away. Yeah, I thought that was interesting just because Jerry Judy, a Bolitnikoff Award winner in 2018, had a lot more production on the field in college than his teammate Henry Ruggs III. So for the Raiders to take Ruggs a few picks ahead of Judy was an interesting move to me just because they clearly valued the marginal speed advantage that Ruggs brings because Judy – a better route runner, a more polished wide receiver right away. And he's still a speed guy. He might not be quite as fast as Ruggs, but he's still fast. So 
Um, it, it'll be interesting because those two now, in my mind, along with CeeDee Lamb, who went uh, number 17 to the Cowboys, I think those three are going to be tied together for a long time where, say, four or five years down the line, we're going to look back and be like, okay, who had this right, the Raiders, the Broncos, or the Cowboys? Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me, Phil, if we get to the end of this year and it looks like C.D. Lamb is the best pick purely because the rest of Dallas's offense is so good. You've got Ezekiel Elliott. You've got Amari Cooper. You've got Michael Gallup, who started to prove himself kind of toward the end of last year. And so, to me, he's in the best situation. But, yeah, like you mentioned, I just don't love the idea of taking a guy like Ruggs, who wasn't even the best receiver on his own team. That that would have scared me. And so I know we've talked about how I wanted to stay away from that pick. I'm glad they got Judy. Um, You know, they talked on Thursday night about how he could play in the slot. He could play outside. I think we'll probably see him more outside after the pick of KJ Hamler, which we'll get to. Um, But he makes Cortland Sutton better because now you can't, you can't double team Cortland Sutton. You can, I guess, but it's just not going to end well. Um, he makes Noah Fant better. And, of course, Drew Lockman, he's got to be the happiest guy in the world because they went and addressed the offense in a major way. And I think if you look at the the two wide, big wide receivers the Broncos have now with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, I think that you say there's not really a number one wide out and a number two wide out because I think that Jerry Judy, if you take a wide receiver at 15 – He's the highest wide receiver that the Broncos have ever taken in any draft at 15 there. I think that you're eventually thinking this guy's going to be a number one wide receiver. So I don't think that you're going to say, okay, this guy just is purely a compliment to Cortland Sutton. I think that now you're talking about a guy who's going to be a number one wide receiver on most teams. So uh, really like the pick of Jerry Judy there. I think that, He's going to instantly come in and have a lot of success. And he's just NFL ready. A lot of people have said that he's the best route runner that they've seen in college since another Alabama guy in Amari Cooper. So um, it really seems like Alabama produces these type of wide receivers that are just ready to step into the NFL. He, I talked to Pat Shermer, the Broncos' new offensive coordinator, and he said, look, The knock on Judy from a lot of analysts has been that we haven't really seen him beat press coverage. How's he going to be able to get off the line? He doesn't look like he really has that physique. But one thing that Shermer said was, look, when you look at tape, he's going against some of the best cornerbacks in the country at the college level. And a lot of them are going to be playing in the NFL. So when you look at his game tape, you see him going against the best competition. Sure, and I mean, A.J. Terrell, who uh, I believe went in the first round there, I mean, Judy burned him. You know, there's a photo of Judy catching the pass over Terrell's outstretched arms. So, yeah, Judy's done it against good competition. Um, It wouldn't surprise me, Phil, if his numbers and Cortland Sutton's numbers aren't crazy just because, you know, the Broncos now have so many options. When you just have a guy like Cortland Sutton, it's possible for him to – you know, hit that 1,100, 1,200-yard mark, have all these touchdowns. But um, a drop in numbers doesn't necessarily mean they're not being effective. And, uh, you know, the other thing we heard from Nick Saban, and he said that Judy is just as productive as Julio Jones, just as productive as Amari Cooper. It doesn't mean he's going to be those guys in the NFL, but certainly has that potential. 
And if he's anywhere close and you have Corlin Sutton too, then, I mean, Phil, I don't know what you think, but to me, this could be a better receiving duo than Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And I know that that's a high bar, but they only spent really like three seasons to get three full seasons together. Um, And I think that this pair has a chance to be together much longer than that. And if they live up to their potential, you know, they don't have Pete Manning at quarterback, but I think it's quite possible they could be remembered as the better duo of those two groups. Uh, They certainly have the potential to do that. I mean, both of those guys were pro bowlers. So uh, I think that if they can live up to that kind of standard, then this was a great pick for the Broncos because, you know, DT Sanders, they won a Super Bowl together. They, you know, are pro bowl guys. So if that is what these guys can be like, then I'll I'll be more than uh, happy because, you know, together they could be a really dynamic duo. And, you know, we knew that the Broncos were going to try and address the off the wide receiver position because they just needed to become more explosive. They averaged just over 17 points a game last season and they needed to be more explosive. We heard John Elway say that was their number one goal heading into the draft and they weren't done just taking Judy because in the second round and a bit of a surprise, I think to a lot of people, they took KJ Hamler, the wide receiver out of Penn state. You know, Phil, and this is to me, you know, we kind of gave our grades on the class. And I know you said, when you said A minus, I said B plus. And I just need to see a guy like KJ Hamler prove himself. You know, he was considered one of these top receivers, but Denzel Mims was still on the board. Um, And to me, it's just about where Hamler fits. I think he's a good player, but, you know, say the Broncos play a lot of three receiver sets, then he's going to get a chance to be in there to make catches to show his ability. But then the Broncos, you know, and we'll get to this, in the fourth round took a tight end. And uh, if they're going to play him, then you're going to have two receiver, two tight end sets. And so then Hamler probably won't be on the field. And so to me, it's just about what is the strategy to make sure that you're getting the most out of these guys? Um, You know, if Hamler can get through some of these drops, you know, he really struggled with that in 2019. John Elway said he thinks their concentration drops. Uh, if he can get through that, he certainly has the potential. But, you know, to me, he we talk about Judy being linked to, uh, you know, Henry Ruggs and CeeDee Lamb. I'm going to always pay attention to these cornerbacks that were still on the board in round two. You know, Jalen Johnson was still there. Uh, Trayvon Diggs was still there. Christian Fulton was there. And so that's, to me, it's not that Hamler isn't a good player. It's just was that the best possible value you could get in round two? Yeah, I think that – I. I agree with you. You have to weigh the pick against who else was available at that moment. But if you look at just Hamler alone, the player that he is, he's a big play kind of potential type of player. Uh, I think that, you know, the Broncos uh, didn't have a lot of explosive plays last year. I think that they were 17th in the league in pass plays of at least 30 yards. So this is a guy who can take screen passes. He can take, um, you know, end arounds, these type of plays, and go the distance. You know, he, he thinks that he's a, a 4-2-9 kind of speed at the wide receiver position. You know, the Broncos uh, took Judy in the first round, and then they got their really their speed speedster in the second round. And you mentioned the drops. He had nine drops last season. I saw an interview with Hamler that said he felt like he was 
trying to look upfield too fast before like pulling the ball in all the way. So hopefully getting him on the jugs machine, getting him around some of the leaders that are going to be in that wide receiver room. Hopefully he can correct some of those things and uh, eventually get that cleaned up. But the potential for Hamler, if he can get that cleaned up is high. The thing to me though, is, is his size. You know, he, he says he has this dog mentality, but you know, I think he's like five, eight, he's less than 200 pounds. So, you know, if he can hold up, I think it'll be great. Uh, but uh, th there's a lot of question marks, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, we, we see these small, fast guys succeed. Nicole Hardman in Kansas City's 5'10", 180. Um, we know Tyreek Hill isn't a, isn't a huge guy. Um, you know, I think more than anything, is Hamler going to be a 800-yard receiver every year? I don't know. I, I kind of doubt that. But what he does do is he offers a threat that you have to pay attention to. You know, we saw the Broncos a lot less last year kind of have Deontay Spencer on these fake jet sweeps, these end arounds where the threat of him getting the ball was supposed to scare the defense. Well, with KJ Hamler, it's really going to threaten the other side of the football. And so if he can prove himself enough to where he just takes a little bit of attention away from Jerry Judy, a little bit of attention away from Cortland Sutton, that's where his value comes in. Uh, and listen, I mentioned this uh, last night, Phil, when we were, we were talking about the draft you could have addressed the offense a little bit by getting Jerry Judy. And that would have been a great step in the right direction. John Elway decided we're going to do this all the way. You know, we're not going to make a, a half-hearted effort to change this offense, to change this receiving core. They've completely overhauled it. We know Cortland Sutton is still going to be the, the number one guy, but it's possible that players like Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, you know, they're going to now be fighting for a roster spot, probably let alone playing time. And so, uh, this group is going to look completely different. And, it, you know, if anything else, I just appreciate the commitment there to not do this a little bit. Like if you're going to invest in a player like Jerry Judy, let's make sure the offense and the wide receiving group is completely overhauled. And we heard from Vic Fangio this weekend. He said, look, on the offensive side of the ball, we needed to become more difficult for defenses to slow, us, slow the Broncos down. And I think now by adding a guy like Hamler, you've just got a different problem to worry about now. Because now when you look at the variety of weapons the Broncos have, they've got a really big physical receiver in Sutton. They've got a talented route runner who just knows how to get open in Jerry Judy. And then now they've got a speedster like KJ Hamler. The Broncos as a collection now, are a lot more difficult to defend. And uh, does, does KJ Hamler need to get like 10, 15 targets every game and uh, need to have 100 yards receiving every game to be effective next year? No. I think that you just having him on the field is enough of a distraction that you got to know where he is all the time. And that's what that's how the Chiefs use Tyree Kill. Like he's not a big position you know, uh, kind of receiver where he just dominates and gets a ton of catches. But the times that he does get those big catches, they go for big plays. He's a home run threat all the time, and you have to worry about him. So now I think that when you look at this Broncos offense, you got a lot to worry about. 
is Sutton going to be, you know, going over the top? Is Judy going to be wide open, you know, in those middle range? Is is Hamler going to be taking the, the lid off the defense? You just got a lot more that when you're game planning against the Broncos, you're, you got more headaches now. Yeah, I think one more thing, Phil, just the injury concerns that always exist in the NFL. If Cortland Sutton had gotten hurt last year, the Broncos' number one receiver would have been Tim Patrick. And, you know, I'm not sure how much that scares defenses. Now, say Sutton misses a game, you've still got Jerry Judy. You know, say Jerry Judy misses a game, you've still got Sutton and K.J. Hamler. You know, the, the options are just better now. Um, and you mentioned the Chiefs. I mean, is Sammy Watkins the guy that's, you know, going to catch 10 passes a game? No, but we've seen games where he goes off because teams have said, we're going to stop Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. And the Broncos might have the same thing where teams say, hey, we're going to stop Noah Fant. We're going to stop Cortland Sutton. And, you know, Jerry, Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler just feast. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I asked Hamler uh, when I talked to him, I said, who's an NFL player that you try to model your game after? And he said, Deshaun Jackson. So uh, a speedster there who's dangerous in the return game too. Um, heard Fangio say that they really like Deontay Spencer in the return game, but I'm sure that Hamler is another option there too. So the Broncos just have a, a lot of variety of weapons. And uh, I think that uh, in the long run, this was a good move just because you mentioned it, the injury concern. Last year, Emmanuel Sanders was the Broncos' second leading receiver. He didn't play for the team after Halloween. So that gives you an idea of what they were dealing with last year, and they made that a focus. And uh, I don't have any problem with them going one, two, wide receiver, wide receiver. So, well, and, and one more thing, Phil, and we'll get to more offensive weapons that they've added here, but that's what they had at their disposal. And Drew Locke still put up 31 points on the Texans. You know, they still put up 27 on the Lions. They still won four of those five games. And so to me, that shows that Drew Locke was able to do something, you know, with what he had. And now you give him this cast and it can only be better. Yeah. And Hamler obviously knows Deshaun Hamilton. They were teammates together for a season at Penn State. Hamler also knows uh, Coach Azani. Obarco's wide receiver coach recruited him to try and come play at Tennessee. Hamler tore his ACL his senior year of high school, so things didn't work out there, but um, at least there's a type of a connection there. So I think Hamler, he'll be able to come in, and he's got the red, right head on his shoulders. So uh, he definitely will come in with a chip on his shoulder, and uh, I like the addition to the wide receiver room. Um, moving on to the third round, though, Eric, the Broncos took uh, – Michael Ojemudia, uh, a cornerback out of Iowa. They liked his physical uh, demeanor. And uh, not, a guy, not a guy who maybe had that high of a grade coming into the draft, but the Broncos really like his potential. Yeah, I saw ESPN's Jeff Legwald. Uh, I think he tweeted it. You know, these big cornerbacks always tend to move up the board on draft day. Uh, and that's something that – you know, I think the Broncos kind of need to add because, you know, A.J. Bouye is a decent size, but you look at Bryce Callahan, he's a smaller guy. I think he probably projects better in the nickel, especially when you've got, uh, you know, these three receiver sets, obviously. Um, but, yeah, O.J. Moody, I would expect Phil to be that third corner probably right away, you know, to start the season. 
Uh, that doesn't mean he's going to start in base, but he's a guy that they like his tackling ability. We talked again and again about how that's a that's an essential thing for a Vic Fangio corner. Um, and they think he has the athleticism to play the position. And it, especially if you look at who he's competing against, they're going to expect some of these guys to emerge between a, a Duke Dawson. Who? Duke Dawson. Duke Dawson? A uh, Devontae Harris, an Isaac Yadam. You know, they're going to expect a couple of those guys to emerge. But I think O.J. Moody has got a really good chance to make an impact. Um, maybe not the corner that I expected him to target. He wasn't a name we mentioned a lot, Phil, but uh, I think has that potential. Three interceptions apiece in each of his last two seasons in Iowa City uh, could be a good developmental player there. You know, one thing I was going to mention was with the draft, the way that it is and the, how the offseason program uh, is going to be this offseason, coaches had a chance to be a lot more involved in the pre-draft lead-up. So they were watching a lot of tape. They were offering opinions to the personnel department a lot more so this year than last year. I asked Fangio after the first round of the draft, I said, you know, how did things go? And he said that he felt like he was in roughly 40 to 50% more meetings involving draft lead up this year than he was last year. And that's because last year the Broncos started the offseason program earlier and uh, he, you know, a lot of his time was spent getting the current team going in the offseason program. This year, Fangio a lot more involved. And I think that means that you're going to be targeting players that fit in his system more so. And Ojemudia, I feel like, fits this Fangio style of defense, more of a zone type of cornerback, not, didn't play a lot of press man in college. And that's something that I think that fits Fangio's idea of how to what he wants in a cornerback. He wants a guy who's going to be smart and be able to tackle. Yeah, and Phil, I think that, you know, people brought up Prince Amukamara before the draft started. This guy is kind of in the same vein as Amukamara is. You know, O.J. Moody is 6'1", and Amukamara also had that ability to play outside. He's a a six-foot guy. Um, You need those big corners. Like you mentioned, fits Vic's system. I just think that he's a guy that you could look back a year from now and be like, wow, he was a lot more, you know, impactful than maybe we thought he could be on draft day. And he did have a fourth or fifth round grade, you know, according to some of these experts. But it's clear the Broncos liked him because they used their first third round pick on him. Uh, and with some of the other players that were on the board, I was I was kind of surprised by that. But um, they needed depth in the secondary. Cornerback was an issue that they needed to address. And they did that. And I don't know about you, Phil, but I don't currently feel like you need to go sign a veteran there. I think they're in a better shape, in better shape with OJ Mudia um, and may not need to address that any farther. I think that they could still look to add a, a veteran there, but uh, I don't think by drafting OJ Mudia, you don't have to. So, uh, right. you know, and a lot of people point to draft grades, but the fact of the matter is, you got to have a player who fits in your system. And so, you know, uh, could the Broncos have gotten one of those cornerbacks in the second round? Sure, but maybe they don't fit in how the Broncos want to play. And I know that uh, uh, I talked to Ed Donatel, too, the Broncos defensive coordinator, and he's fired up to get to work with uh, Ojemudia. So 
I think that uh, uh, the Broncos liked what they saw there, and they feel like with proper coaching, they can get him involved in the mix and get things going uh, right away. So, well, uh, and listen on on Oja Moody, uh, you know, I think back to when they picked Brendan Langley in 2017 in the third round, and I thought, man, I've never heard of that guy. Like, that's pretty high to draft a corner from Lamar. And a lot of it was projecting what he could do, you know, because he had been a converted wide receiver. We later found out he didn't like to backpedal, didn't feel comfortable doing it. Uh, but Ojemudia, he's played a lot of football. He has experience. And so to me, this feels like a completely different pick. Uh, wouldn't be, wouldn't have the same concerns if I were a Broncos fan. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him play. He is a physical guy. Uh, ran a four four five in the forty at the combine, so he's he's pretty fast too. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they get him involved in the mix and exactly what role they find for him in the defense. Uh, uh, I agree with you. He, he he's going to have to fight to find his way out on the field because some of those younger guys that played last season for the Broncos, you heard Fangio say this after the draft. We've that he thinks that one of those guys is going to emerge too. So uh, Ojemudia. If they get him studying this offseason, get him in the offseason program, um, maybe he could flash and uh, get on the field a little bit as a rookie next year. So uh, that was the first third-round pick the Broncos had. But then they moved on and addressed uh, the center position and took one of your favorite players, Eric, that's Sir Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah, Phil, I love this. Uh, an all-SEC guy, all-American player team MVP at LSU. I mean, the accolades for him just go on and on and on. Um, you know, drafted a lot of team captains in this draft. Cushenberry, uh, they're talking about how he's going to compete there with guys like Patrick Morris. Cushenberry is going to be the starter on day one. To me, there is little doubt in my mind. Uh, just, you know, a really solid player there. And, and talking to him, Phil, in these interviews he did, just an impressive guy, uh, well-spoken, knows what's going on, feels very comfortable about his ability to handle the mental side of the game because of all the five-man protection they ran at LSU. Uh, he could be a staple in the center of that offensive line next to Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow for years. Uh, and he was a player, Phil, that had a second-round grade on a lot of teams' boards for some reason, maybe because he can only play center. That's where a lot of teams see him. Uh, he fell down to the third round, but had the Broncos taken Cushenberry at 46, I would have been excited. So for them to get him at 83, that was spectacular. Yeah, their patience paid off with him. And I know that, Eric, you and I were talking as the draft was going on. We were like, what is going on with Cushenberry? Like, do these teams know something that we don't know about him? Because when he was falling, it was confusing. Heading into the draft, we thought that him or Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan – we thought they were going to battle for to be the first center off the board, and uh, Ruiz was a first-round pick. So uh, was he a first-round pick or a second-round pick? He was a first-round pick. He went to the yeah. Saints there, and yeah. they expect him to start right away. And listen, if Cushenberry had fallen below a bunch of guys on the board, then maybe I would have been concerned. But, uh, you know, Matt Hennessy was the only other center that went above him to the Falcons just a few picks before the Broncos selected. Um so that could just be a matter of personal preference. And I think it's just likely that as teams are drafting, center isn't always the position that you're you know, most concerned about. Like if you're trying to add value, a cornerback in the second round is probably better value. So, 
you know, it's possible they just got a steal there in the third round. Um, I'm excited to see him play, uh, you know, not just from a physical standpoint, but how he helps Drew Locke, how those guys develop together. When you have a young quarterback and a young center that can progress at the same pace, I think that sets you up for, for long-term success. Yeah, we saw that with uh, Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday in Indianapolis. Those two bonded and they uh, had a lot of success together. Could be the same sort of situation with Drew and uh, Lloyd. I was blown away by him in those meet in the press conferences afterward. Really impressive guy, well-spoken. Uh, I thought that he did a really good job. So uh, I, I liked how he handled himself there. And he was talking about how he knew Matt Mock, the uh, former Broncos quarterback who came out of LSU, currently a dentist. Uh, just things like that. I was like, whoa, this guy's like really knows what's going on. And um, uh, I like him. I, I just like the pick. And I like the idea of uh, his personality fitting in with the Broncos and playing right next to Dalton Reisner. We saw those two on social media interact with each other right after the pick. I think he's going to fit in perfectly. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring up the Jeff Saturday, Peyton Manning connection, Phil, but you know I was thinking it. I know you were. I know you were. And I just, you know, I I like the – he said as he was waiting to be drafted, he saw what the Broncos were doing, liked the pick of Jerry Judy, of K.J. Hamler. You know, just a guy that gets you fired up. I think fans may be more excited about Cushenberry than anybody besides Judy. Uh, He said – the future is bright for the Denver Broncos, and I can't wait to be a part of it. He's going to be a part of it for a long time, I think. Yeah, and he's obviously a big guy, uh, really long wing wingspan. Uh, I think he's going to fit that center position really well. And uh, one person who really is a big fan of Cushenberry is the Hoff, Steve Atwater. Saw him at the Senior Bowl and was like, identified him right away. We got to have this guy. And guess what? He pops up in Denver. I mean, do you think that Atwater was talking to John and said, you need to get this guy? I mean. It's quite possible. I mean, the thing that's important to me is that we've seen interior pressure in the NFL become such a big deal. Uh, You look at Kansas City, Chris Jones ruined the 49ers offense in the second half. I mean, he just did. And so now to have, you know, Glasgow, Cushenberry, and Reisner there in the center – I feel very comfortable about their ability to, to pass protect and, you know, run blocking as well, I think will be fine. But just to be able to hold up against those guys, that opens up the play action passing game, which we know that Pat Shermer likes. That opens up, you know, trick plays if you want to do something along those lines. But, man, as happy as Drew Locke probably is about Judy and Hamler, having a guy in the center of the offense that you know is going to keep you safe and sound, it's probably just as important to Drew. If you're listening right now, you're probably saying, what about Garrett Bowles? What about the left tackle position? We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. So don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get upset. Don't get angry. Just calm down. We'll talk about Bowles in just a little bit. We're still going through the draft class here, okay? Just relax. Relax. Yeah. Uh, I've got some uh, crazy ideas too, Phil, that I can't wait to share. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tease what a tease um eric the broncos believe it or not were still not done in round three a little bit later they took a defensive lineman out of arkansas love this guy's name mctelvin a 
it, John Elway really went after the names here between Ojemudia, McTelvin Aguim. Got probably four guys on day three with some some good names. So hey. As somebody who I don't know if it's is it worse to to write it and to have to worry about you know how many uh, how many vowels are in Okwu Bugnum or is it is it worse to have to say it every day, Phil? First of all, it's Okwu Bugnum. I think okay. that's what I said. So that's not what you said. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, Erica, I, I think it's harder to say the guy's name. And, uh, I, you know, is this a game to you? Pretty good. I like yeah. it. I like it. No, this but, guy. Uh, you want to play a game? He could be a factor in a game pretty early on. Um, <laughs> you know, a really good run player. Uh, you know, sometimes effective against the pass, but he moved into defensive tackle. And again, that it's interesting, Phil, to think about where these position groups stood even a month and a half ago, because going into free agency, you were like, what are the Broncos going to do on the defensive line? They might need to use a first round pick and they re-signed Shelby Harris. They're able to get Jarrell Casey. They put a tender on Mike Purcell, who's a really good run defender. And then they get a game in the third round. And he's a guy that, I think this is good for him. He's not going to be expected to contribute at a, you know, he's not going to play 80% of the snaps. If he can get in there as a rotational guy, provide some push, um, you know, be a depth player, that's going to be great. And we heard Vic Fangio when he was on the phone with him, he said, we're going to, we're going to make you the type of player we think you can be. And with your guy, Bill Kolar, Phil, we know that that uh, he'll coach him hard. Man, I really like this uh, pick after watching him on tape a little bit. I, uh, really explosive gets after the quarterback a little bit he could play in the in the middle of the line he can go outside on the line uh really an effective pass rusher another physical type of guy he ran a 498 at the at the combine um and a guy who really came on here the last couple of months since the end of the college football season and i think that he's a little bit raw but you mentioned it if you get bill kolar with him if you get Vic Fangio with him, I think that with his just raw talent, he'll be able to really do a lot of damage. And, uh, you know, the defensive line had been like a big sort of, a, like you mentioned, what are they going to do? Bringing in a guy like Jarrell Casey uh, solved a lot of those issues. They lost Derek Wolf. They bring back Shelby Harris. They got, um, you know, Purcell there too. So I think that uh, – I think that a game is going to have time to develop and with the right coaching, he could be really a, a, one of the steals of this draft. Yeah. And listen, Phil, we know that John Elway has talked about win and win from now on. And I think what he did in this draft, especially in the first three rounds was grab guys, a few who can help win right now and a few who are going to help you win from now on, you know, well, first of all, I think all of them are going to help you win from now on, but Aguim is the type of guy that you make sure that this young defensive line with Purcell and him, Draymond Jones, you make sure that has the talent to continue to be a good group even after, you know, say Jarrell Casey is here for a couple of years. Even after that, they're going to continue to be successful because they're adding this top-tier talent. A good mix along the defensive line of some veteran veterans there and then also some younger guys. I even forgot Draymond Jones. He, he came on there at the end of last season. So I, I think that uh, they got a good mix along that defensive line. And, you know, 
if in some sub packages a game gets in there and you just say, look, your responsibility here is to just get after the quarterback. I like that. I, I think he could be a mismatch kind of guy. And uh, if he's just got one focus, hey, just go out there and do this. I think he'll be able to contribute as a rookie. Well, and we'll talk about this more later, I think, Phil. But last year, I felt like the Broncos starting group was pretty good, you know, especially on defense. But the depth wasn't necessarily there. This year, I think the depth across the board, both offense and defense, is light years better. And that could be good enough, you know, when a guy like Bradley Chubb goes down or, say, a receiver has to miss a game or two. That's the difference between 7 and 9 and uh, 9 and 7, 10 and 6. So the Broncos were done on day two there, but then moving on to day three, they had five picks and they started the day with a former teammate of Drew Locks. That's tight end Albert Okue Boonham, uh, a big guy who was ran a blazing speed at a blazing speed at the combine, the fastest among all tight ends who ran at the combine. And uh, they even called Drew Locke before they made the pick in the fourth round there and said, what do you think of this guy? Uh, really impressive that uh, they've reached out to Drew Locke before making a pick. I mean, uh, that kind of blew me away there. Yeah, Elway said that Drew Locke, he loved Okuwe Boonham to death. How's that? That's pretty nice. Albert O. Albert O. Do you think as a receiver he would be able to have an Okuwe go? (laughs) That would be a mismatch nightmare. Uh, no, we talked a, a year ago, Phil, coming out of the combine, that when Noah Fant ran a 4-5, that it was this huge deal. He went viral. We thought, hey, maybe he's going to be a top-10 pick. Certainly won't be there at, at 20. Uh, this guy ran faster than that. You know, he was a hundredth of a second better. Um, I'm excited to see, especially in the red zone, if they run some of these two tight end sets. What are you supposed to do as a defense you know, if you've got Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton out wide, you've got Fant and Albert O in line, or maybe one of those guys split out, you know, and then you also have to worry about the threat of Melvin Gordon or Philip Lindsay. That, to me, especially in the red zone, is going to be really impressive. We know that connection is good. He got 17 touchdowns from Drew in two seasons together at Missouri. Um, I don't think he'll be, you know, again – Maybe he's around those KJ Hamler-type receiving numbers and yards, but he's going to make things easier for Fant, brings more speed. And I don't know about you, Phil, but I wasn't expecting a a tight end pick there at that spot. But uh, just more speed, it's really clear that they wanted to get weapons. Yeah, I think on the third day of the draft, I think that you're just trying to find good value at different places, you know, and just say, we think that this guy could be a, a good player at the NFL level. Let's go ahead and take him versus necessarily worrying about too much about what your current roster looks like. And now the Broncos, I think they have about 28 different tight ends. You know, uh, they got, just to give you an idea, they've got Noah Fant, Albert O. I think those are going to be the two main pass catching tight ends. But they, t- they signed Nick Vanette in the offseason as a free agent. And then that already is in addition to some of the guys that they had in, like, Andrew Beck, Jeff Hireman, Jake Butt. I mean, they, they've got a lot of tight ends now. And 
it'll be interesting to just see what happens during training camp. And this is if there's a season in a training camp. I'm just going to assume that there's – we'll just discuss things as if there is going to be. I don't know how things are going to play out. I mean, what, what is that – what's that room going to look like? Yeah, well, I think Fant, Alberto, and Veneto, they're, they're locks to make the team. I mean, that's going to happen. And so then you look at, you know, some teams just carry three tight ends. If they want to carry a fourth, my get. Yeah, I agree. I think because of what Beck can do on special teams, he seems like the guy that makes sense. And so, you know, does that – did you try to find somebody to trade Jeff Ironman to? Do you find uh, – what do you do with Jake Butt, who, you know, you had a high opinion of coming out of the draft a few years ago but hasn't been able to stay healthy? What do you do with Austin Fort, who also looked promising – a year ago before tearing his ACL. I mean, this is, they've got some talent at this position and four or five guys might be fighting for one spot. Yeah. Uh, I also forgot to mention Troy Fumagalli, Bug Howard. I mean, they've got a lot of, they got a lot of players there. You know, uh, it makes me uh, think back to uh, the Patriots when they had Gronk and Hernandez. I mean, those are two, two mismatches there. So, uh, I think that looking at the pick, I think the Broncos just said, look, this guy could be a player. Let's take him and just see what happens at the position because that was definitely not an area where they were like, we really need somebody. Uh, I do think that Beck, Beck and Fumagalli might be fighting it out for that last spot. I know that they were really high on Beck. He came, came on at the end of last season, caught a bunch of passes from Drew Locke. Uh, his first touchdown pass or catch was against the Lions. I think they like him too. So uh, John Elway said at the end of the draft, competition isn't a bad thing. And now they're going to be this roster. There's going to be a lot of competition all across the board. Right. It'll just be interesting to see how fast some of this comes together because of all these young receivers, all these young tight ends, you know, even if they don't light up the board in 2020, it doesn't mean that a couple years down the road, this offense couldn't be one of the most explosive in the NFL to the point where you're saying, what do we do when we play the Broncos? How do we stop these guys? And as you know, Phil, that's kind of reminiscent of the 2013 offense where there were just so many options that you kind of had to pick which guy you just wanted to handle one-on-one and kind of dare Peyton to beat you. And that's why, you know, a lot of this is up to Drew. Moving on to the fifth round, the Broncos finally addressed the linebacker position, taking Justin Sternod out of Wake Forest. He's sort of a safety linebacker hybrid, played safety in high school, linebacker a little bit undersized at Wake Forest, but more of a coverage type of guy. Had a bicep injury last year, had to have surgery in October, missed the rest of his senior season, but team captain, uh, seems fired up to be part of the Broncos, and uh, a guy who, if he can develop properly, might be the answer to uh, some of the coverage problems with tight end position you got Okue Boonham but it, I think it's Sternat Sternat I don't think so well we'll find been out list, been listening to some highlights um yeah he's a guy Phil that if he can cover tight ends on third down that's an instant upgrade for the Broncos um I'm not sure I'd expect him to be an every down linebacker especially in his first year but Again, just a good depth addition. We'll have to see what he can bring. Um, but I, I like his potential, at least, behind Alexander Johnson and Todd Davis. 
yeah, I think that he could come in and, uh, you know, if he can, uh, I think he's supposed to have really fluid hips. He can change directions well. Not a blazing speed kind of guy, but just a guy who, who knows where to be. And and he could just be that coverage guy that, you know, the Broncos have been sort of looking for at that position. Uh, it seemed like people who follow Wake Forest football were really excited about the pick. Um, goes along the lines of what the Bronco, the kind of players the Broncos have been taking the past couple of years with these team captains, really good leader. And, uh, you know, again, at, on day three, I think you're just taking guys who could have that potential to really add a lot. Maybe he just plays special teams as a rookie. Well, we'll who knows? We'll have to see what, uh, what he can contribute right away. And then, uh, in the sixth round, the Broncos took another big-time potential guy in Natani Muti, an offensive guard, a really just a, a mauls people, a really strong guy, finishes the block all the way, putting his guy into the ground out of Fresno State. Absolutely love this pick, Phil. Uh, he, John always said the Broncos had a third-round grade on him. He's a guy that I think would have been – a fan favorite as a potential pick had he been healthy. And that's kind of the big question because he's had two Achilles injuries over the last four years. He's dealing with a Liz Frank injury and has played five games over the last two seasons. But when he was healthy in 2017, he started all 14 games for Fresno state at left guard uh, was an honorable mention, all conference player as a redshirt freshman. And uh, you know, if he can get to the place where he's healthy and he develops a little bit, I don't see how you keep him off the field. And so that, to me, when we get to the offensive line, we'll talk about how that could kind of work. But, you know, Dalton Reisner's really good. He's got Pro Bowl potential and all pro potential. We know Graham Glasgow, uh, how highly they think of him. And obviously, he just drafted Lloyd Cushenberry at center. But if this kid can stay healthy and shows what he did in college, you've got to find a spot for him. Yeah, when you look at the tape on him, I mean, he is just uh... – uh, he's got the right attitude to play offensive line. I mean, he was just he was just taking guys, pushing them back, and then the play was like all the way on the other side of the field, and he's still blocking that same guy. Like he's just like uh, he's got the right attitude. And uh, yeah, look, he's had three season-ending injuries in the last four years. Uh, is that a, a trend or is that just some bad luck? I think that the Broncos said, look, it's worth it for us to take this guy, see what happens. Had a third-round grade on him, like you mentioned. So it's just worth the chance. And uh, we even saw Melvin Gordon tweet about it and say, look, uh, man, I watched the tape on this guy. I like what I see. And uh, why not just take a chance on a guy who, who could be an eventual starter for you if things work out? I mean, that's, a, that's the best-case scenario is that this guy's got his injury – uh, problems in the past and now he could he's flashed the signs that he could be a really quality player in this league yeah I do worry about the injuries just from the standpoint that they're all foot related right like you know they're all concentrated in that same area and so to me that's a little concerning but they said that Greek the Broncos director of sports medicine Steve Antonopoulos they said you know these Achilles injuries once you have the surgery there's not necessarily a risk to re-injure them the same way that you know maybe there is with an ACL. So if he can get back from the Liz Frank injury, 
uh, he's a guy that, you know, I think you'll be able to tell in training camp that he's an impressive player pretty quickly. And uh, we saw what he was able to do at the combine on his bench press. Although I yeah. felt like maybe he was bouncing him a little off his chest. I think if you do 44 reps, which is like the third or fourth most by anybody since 2006, you know, I wouldn't be too worried about the bounce. Everybody's trying to bounce him. Everybody's bouncing. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Plus, it does look like he's got, you know, his arms aren't super long, so he doesn't have to push it up as far as some other guys. See, that's what my problem is. I got the super long arms. Yeah, you got to use double strength. Exactly, exactly. So, Do you, How many times could you, uh, especially, you know, you've got to go out in front of all these people. There's a crowd screaming for you. Get he you puts up, up. That helps puts, you. The crowd puts, helps you. Yeah, but he puts 44 up, and they're going nuts, and then you're the next guy out there. How many are you putting up? What, you said he did 44? Yeah. I'd probably get 45 in, I think. <laughs> right. Don't want to show off too much. Just yeah. get the record, move on. I'll just move, Yeah, exactly. Just do my business and move on. Uh, yeah. Eric, the Broncos moving on in the seventh round. They had two picks. They used the first one on a wide receiver out of Florida, Tyree Cleveland. Yeah, Phil, these last two picks, I just view them as, you know, they're kind of like preferred college free agents because you've got two of the last five picks in the draft. Um, these, to me, seem like picks where you're saying, hey, we, we want to land you here in college free agency, and we're just making sure that we get you. Uh, Cleveland didn't do a whole lot at Florida despite being a really highly ranked recruit at a high school. Uh, I think he only had 23 catches his senior year. Um, only started a handful of games after starting. That to me is a little concerning. Didn't didn't start all the games his senior year after starting them all his junior year. Uh, but you know maybe he's a special teams player. Uh, maybe he again a speedy guy, so maybe he's able to help you that way. But to me, this is more of a, a potential upside pick rather than someone that you're counting on to to make your team. Yeah. Hey, maybe this guy gets into camp and shows some signs of something, but. Other than that, uh, you know, I, when I just personally, when I look at the wide receiver position, I just see like a lot of players who've been in the league for a while, a lot of talent there. So uh, just take, take, take a chance on a guy and see what he can do when he comes in. That's sort of how I view uh, Cleveland. Uh, had a little bit of issues with uh, BB guns while he was at Florida, arrested his, his freshman year. He got cited uh, again a couple of years later. So maybe uh, uh, some maturity stuff going on there. If that's in the past, maybe if he just focuses on football, the Broncos like what he can do. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe he, you could stash him on a practice squad or something and uh, see what, what uh, he could do down the line. So that's sort of how I view him. And then, uh, Eric, the final pick, Derek Tuska, uh, uh, a pass rusher out of North Dakota State. Yeah, Phil, I actually – I really like this pick. Um, he was a guy that I think Pro Football Focus had him in their top 150 players on the board. Um, he's a guy that some people had fourth and fifth round grades on. This is a guy that it wouldn't surprise me if he made the team. Um, you know, he was an FCS All-American. I believe he was the conference defensive player of the year. Had 13 and a half sacks as a senior. Uh, in his final season there in Fargo. And so uh, he, uh, you know, he can 
add some depth behind Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. You know, we do, they, we know they like Atachu there. They like Malik Reed, but hey, if he, he could push those guys and potentially make the roster. Yeah, I really think so too. This was a great pick. Maybe one of the best seventh round picks this year. I think that learning from Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, he could maybe get a sense of what that position is like. And heck, he could be one of the one of the steals of this draft. He did it, you know, at the FCS level. So, uh, you know, maybe not facing the greatest competition, but I think that in the seventh round, what you're getting in him, uh, a tremendous pick in my opinion. So the Broncos. We know DeMarcus Ware, DeMarcus Ware went to Troy, you know, which is not playing at the highest level of competition. So uh, we've seen these pass rushers before come from small schools and still make a, a pretty big impact. The Broncos had 10 picks coming into this draft. They used all 10 of their picks. I believe, Eric, this is the first time that John Elway has not traded a pick uh, during his draft. Uh, he's been through now 10 drafts as a Broncos uh, front man of the personnel department. So um, I think the Broncos added a lot of depth, a lot of competition, a lot of uh, talent on the front end, a lot of explosive players and uh John always said that was his goal coming in, getting explosive weapons and adding depth uh, across the board for this roster. So, Eric, my question now is, other than Jerry Judy, who do you think is going to have the biggest impact as a rookie? Yeah, I mean, to me, Phil, this is no question. It's Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, He's going to start, if he's healthy, he's going to start all 16 games. You know, and between um, Reisner and Glasgow there, you know, if this is a good offense, he's got potential to be an all-rookie selection like Dalton Reisner was. Um, it's probably a stretch to say he's going to be a pro bowler in year one. But, I mean, I think he's got the talent and the potential to, to do a really nice job. Um, and this offensive line should take a step forward. So, yeah, to me, no question, hands down, it's Cushenberry. Yeah, I agree. It'd be just because he's going to be on the field the most. I think the only other guy who – who could be in that conversation is Hamler, uh, especially if he say he happens to get free a few times and he has like say four or five touchdowns. I think that would be a tremendous impact as a rookie. So uh, it's possible that Hammer Hamler could come in and show some of that explosiveness and uh, and could be the guy. But uh, just based off of who's going to be on the field the most, I think Cushenberry is the guy who's going to have the biggest impact as a rookie. Uh, I'm not going to say that he's going to be a pro bowler like maybe you think. I mean, you're. I don't think I. I don't think I. I don't think I said that. You said maybe it would be a stretch. Yeah, it is a stretch. <laughs> that is a stretch. Yeah. Uh, but all rookie. I think all. I don't think it's a. I mean, if you're looking at rookie centers, it's going to between be between Cesar Ruiz, Matt Hennessy, and Lloyd Cushenberry. And there's. Yeah. It's not ridiculous to say that Cushenberry could earn that all-rookie title. Yeah, no, that is possible. And, uh, you know, Broncos got good value there with Cushenberry. So uh, I think you and I in agreement there that it's Cushenberry who's going to have the biggest impact. Uh, what about Sleeper? Who, who do you like the most that uh, maybe a lot of people don't know about but uh, is going to be a guy who comes out of nowhere? Yeah, so I wish I could say Natani Muti because I just – I love this guy. But – 
I think, you know, there's a possibility they're going to redshirt him, that he's going to not see the field in year one. So don't think it's going to be that guy. Uh, I'll go with, I'll go with Tuska. I, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a, a risk because who knows if he's even going to make the roster, but I could see him kind of playing that Shaq Barrett type role, find a few sacks there um, even as a rookie. And just because I think there's that potential for depth, you know, at outside linebacker where, you know, Malik Reed and uh, Jeremiah Itachu are both good players, but neither to the point where it's going to be impossible for this guy to see the field. So last pick in the draft, I think, I think Tuska could make an impact here. And I know you don't like when I hedge, so I'll just say he's going to be the the sleeper of the draft. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's the kind of uh, pick I like. I I'm going to go with McTelvin again. I mean, uh, I don't know if he counts as a sleeper, but I would say that uh, uh, we didn't know too much about him. Uh, first of all, his his name sounds like he's coming straight out of a uh, Key and Peel sketch. Uh, I don't know if that's fair, but uh, it, it, McTelvin. I haven't heard a lot of McTelvins, but I love it. And he was, uh, in, uh, he was in Super Bad, I think. <laughs> uh, he had nine and a half sacks last year. I think that uh, he's versatile. I think that he's going to be able to come in and learn from, you know, Jarrell Casey and uh, some of the other veterans the Broncos had there. And uh, I think he's a sleeper, and he could come in and make a have a huge impact. Uh, down the line. So I think that uh, he is a sleeper to watch, Eric. Yeah, just take a, take a day two pick as your sleeper. That's fine. That's like our friend Matt Boyer saying that Cortland Sutton's going to be the breakout player in 2020. Did you know who McTelvin Aguim was before? Nope, he's a, he's a third round pick. It's not a sleeper. Sorry, I didn't pick someone from North Dakota State. That's, that okay. Is, That's okay. There's there's five day three guys to pick from and you like actually, I think Jerry Judy's probably the sleeper. He could be a good option. <laughs> a sleeper is somebody who you have never heard of before who could come onto the scene. So Gosh, you've got a lot of people to choose from, then, don't you? <laughs> That's a good shot. I like it. <laughs> I like it. The entire draft class is almost <laughs> sleepers to you. As a neutral zone nation knows. I tend to not learn about the guys until that final 53 comes out. So make the team and then I'll do my homework. <laughs> Eric, still, despite the addition of uh, these 10 guys, the Broncos do still have some question marks on the roster. Most notably, they did not pick a left tackle. And uh, we heard all, all along from John Elway that he was going to wait until after the draft to make a decision about Garrett Bowles. One thing we learned over the weekend regarding Bulls is that the Broncos have opened up the competition at left tackle. It's not just Bulls' position anymore, which does not spell good news for him with regard to that fifth-year option because now he's fighting for his starting role with uh, Elijah Wilkinson. Yeah, Phil, and I agree with you that I don't think the fifth-year option gets picked up at this point. Um, we'll know by May 3rd what their decision is there. I still expect Garrett Bowles to start. Let's be clear about that. I think he has talent. I think he improved toward the end of last year. The coaching staff liked what they saw from him to some degree. Uh, and, you know, maybe this is just being done to say, hey, let's get your act together a little bit. Let's light a fire under you. 
uh, and see what happens. Maybe the competition brings the best out of him because he didn't face that even as a rookie. They named him the starter at left tackle immediately. He took every snap there uh, from the very beginning. And, you know, so did Dalton Reiser, and it worked well for him. Didn't Hasn't worked quite as well for Garrett Bowles. But, gosh, Phil, I know it's Broncos country's favorite thing to do to hate on this guy, but he allowed one sack of Drew Locke. You know, he's got that. He had one holding penalty of Drew during Drew Locke's uh, five-game stint. He had some other issues. He had that uh, – I think he had a block in the back and he had an unnecessary roughness against the Chargers that almost cost him the, the oh, chance to – I think that was the Raiders, right, that that he had that unnecessary roughness at the end. Oh, that's right, at yeah. At the end of the game. Um, but, you know, I think still has a chance in his second year under Mike Munchak to take a step forward. And Drew Locke was only sacked five times in five games. That would have been the best – sack per game average of any team in the NFL it's a small sample size I get that it'll probably end up being bigger in 2020 but I mean it's it's just not I don't know some people are talking about cut this guy get rid of him never let him play again with as strong as the rest of the offensive line is with the exception of tackle I wouldn't throw things into flux especially because you don't know what you're going to get at right tackle from Juwan James yeah I have a lot of opinions about this because I agree with you, Eric. A lot of people uh, like to pile on bowls there. Uh, and I just have two different opinions on it. One, on one side, I feel bad for the guy because he's gone through a lot of offensive coordinators. He's gone through a lot of offensive line coaches. A lot of change has happened since he was drafted. So he hasn't had that consistency that you, you want a young player to have. He hasn't had the quarterback consistency either. I mean, it changed a lot over the course of his few years here in Denver. And I know that a lot of people like to compare him to Ryan Ramchek because they were both on the board there when the Broncos picked. But Ramchek has had the same head coach his whole career, and he's had Drew Brees as his quarterback. You don't exactly have to block very long for Drew Brees. So I don't think that's a fair comparison, and I think that it's been tough uh, for Bulls. On the other side, I think, okay, he's a first-round pick, that, and he should be able to uh, – have success no matter what. And he hasn't exactly shown that. So um, he's shown that maybe some improvement over the course of last year. He showed improvement with uh, Drew, with, uh, Drew Locke coming in. He's going to have better success when Drew's the quarterback just because he's a lot more mobile. He can feel the pass rush a little bit better than Joe Flacco did. So he's going to have more success there. But at the same time, you know, Bulls – just, you know, had the holding penalties, had some issues. Not as bad as Broncos country likes to make it seem out to be, but not exactly uh, that first-round talent that we were hoping for. So I think there's a balance there. I think maybe with some consistency, he can have some more success. And I, I agree with you, Eric. I think that he's going to get that starting job, especially because it seemed like Eli is a little bit more comfortable on that right side. And you don't know if Juwan James is going to be healthy. So you want a guy who can, who can be effective there. And also, Elijah Wilkinson can swing and play guard too. So um, I, I'd be surprised if they moved Elijah Wilkinson and said you're going to be a left tackle, even though I do think Eli is a great player. So, Yeah, well, even if he is the left tackle, I think Garrett Bowles has to stay on the team just from a standpoint of needing depth. Um, I do think it's Garrett's probably last year on the team, you know, even if he plays decent. I just wish there were a way to kind of reset because 
seems like whenever there's a flag on the field, people are almost hoping for it to be 72 so that they can boo. Yeah. You know, like, because if it's, if Elijah Wilkinson gets called for holding it, Dalton Reisner, it's not the same kind of ire that. He's been vilified. Exactly. It's, it's almost at the level that Paxton was at there toward the end. And yeah. so, you know, if not worse. And so I just wish that there was a way to everyone to say, hey, we've got a new quarterback. We've got all these offensive weapons. We've rebuilt the offensive line. Um, let's just let's give him a fresh start, which hey, he's making a lot of money and he's a first round pick. So I get that's not how it works. But um, like yeah. you said, I just do feel a little bad. I will say one option, Phil, if it gets really bad and Muti becomes a potential starter at left guard, you could always move Reisner out to tackle. He was an All-American right tackle at Kansas State. Uh, I think he played there one season. So you could either move him to left tackle, move Jawan James to left, and move Dalton to right. I understand not wanting to move Dalton from the guard position where he played so well, but we hear again and again it's not about – who the five best players are. It's about the best combination. And if the best combination involves putting Muti at left guard, you know, then find a way to make it work. Yeah, it, it is going to be interesting to see how they make that mesh, especially with Pat Shermer going to a West Coast style of offense. That left tackle needs to be able to uh, hold up and do a lot of different things. So uh, they could always go out and try and get a veteran free agent still. Uh, if they want to bring in some more competition there. So uh, it is going to be interesting to see what they do. I would hate to have to move Reisner, Reisner because I think that, in my opinion, if you get one position solidified, don't mess with it, in my opinion. So, like, if you feel like you're really good at left guard, let's just stay there. But, again, I understand trying to get a mesh of guys. And if, if Muti comes on, you got to figure out a way to get him on the field. So uh, – uh, they that is a major question mark for this team and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they address that because you know if you bring in all these new toys for Drew Locke if he doesn't have time to get the ball to them or if he gets banged up because the line isn't doing their job uh, it doesn't do much good so uh, hopefully uh, the second year with Munchak there can can help things bringing in Glasgow I do think that if Juwan James is healthy He's one of the best right tackles in the game. So it feels like maybe there's um, some holes there. But I think with what the Broncos did in, in the offseason, I think they could actually have a really good offensive line. Yeah, and listen, even though people love to pretend like the offensive line is terrible, they ranked 16th in sacks last year. Like they were they were average, and that was with Joe Flacco as the starter for most of the season. Like we already He's mentioned. sort of a statue back there. Exactly. We already mentioned that once Drew got involved, it was much better. Um, I think Drew has the mobility to roll out, help those tackles a little bit. Um, don't hold the ball too long. I mean, that's what we saw with, with Flacco for a while. Um, so, yeah, I feel more confident than most. I, here's something, Phil. I feel better about left tackle than I do about right tackle. Really? just because I've seen Bulls play every single game since he was drafted in Denver. And, you know, you're going to deal with a holding penalty every now and then. I get that that it's frustrating. Uh, but he doesn't let the quarterback get hit, really. Like we mentioned, he allowed one sack of lock. Um, he's a pretty good run blocker. And, you know, you can count on him. Whereas we saw Jawan James play 40, 50 snaps all season. And, you know, 
he's got to stay healthy, um, which is a big question mark. And, and I feel like it's a bigger question mark than Bowles at left. Yeah, but when, when James is healthy, we know what he's capable of. And there's a reason why John Elway last year made him at the time the highest paid right tackle in the game. So you know that if, if he is healthy, he's going to be able to contribute. And if his career is any indicator, every other year he's healthy. So this should be a great year for Juwan James, I think. I prefer better than every other. Well, hopefully uh, he has a bit of a good luck, good luck streak here. I think Brock is hoping for that. Eric, the other question mark I had with the roster now is at the defensive back position. I uh, thought maybe they would address that early. They did in the third round with their, with their third pick, but uh, I still have some thoughts there just because you're – you're going to have to rely on on an unproven guy to step up. Yeah, I think, you know, the question mark again is on one of these free agents from last year and Bryce Callahan. If he's healthy, all of a sudden everything gets a little bit easier because you can play him in the slot. You can put either Michael Ojemudia. You can put uh, Devontae Harris. I mean, those are probably the two guys that I would – guess would be involved or you could put Duke Dawson in the slot and keep Bryce Callahan outside but it it all starts with Callahan and if he's healthy and if he is then you've got a pretty decent secondary is it the best secondary you've ever had in Denver certainly not and is it the deepest position on the defense no uh, I'd probably point to safety or maybe defensive line there but it's good enough that you're going to be okay um, but it, it just you're depending a lot on Callahan to be to be right. And then I know you felt you want to see A.J. Boye prove himself after kind of a down season last year. Yeah, hopefully Boye can bounce back, especially with Ed Donatel coaching him. Uh, I do think that the Broncos could still look at uh, a free agent veteran at that position. Uh, you know, like things didn't work out for Eli Apple with the Raiders, so maybe he's still still an option. Uh Prince of Mukamara is still out there. So there's some options for the Broncos that they feel like they need to go get um, a proven guy who's done it in this league. So um, I'm not sure how much they think that Ojemudia is going to be able to contribute right away. If they feel like he can come in and play immediately, maybe they don't do that. But that that's just the one other position right now that I'm like, okay, they're, they're not as solid there as they are everywhere else. We know what they can do at the safety position. We know what the D-line looks like now. Um, maybe linebacker, you still have a couple of question marks at. But um, everywhere else, especially on the offensive side of the ball now, you feel pretty solid. Yeah, listen, every team has questions. The Broncos aren't the only team that's trying to fill a spot or two. Um, and I think they're in much better shape than they were entering the draft. They're going to hopefully continue to progress over the next year, a uh, couple years with this young offense. But I thought it was telling that John Elway said on Saturday, after Super Bowl 50, we kind of decided let's invest as much as we can in the defense and just hope they can keep things close so that we can try to win. And finally that, you know, they're taking a different approach, a different method. Um, it might take a few weeks, especially without an off-season program, to, to make that happen. But um, I like the general direction 
And so, yeah, outside of those couple of positions you mentioned, Phil, I don't think there's certainly not nearly as many holes as the last few years. Eric, that's a perfect transition into our final topic here, and that's expectations for this team moving forward. And I agree with you. Gone are the days of the Broncos trying to win games 17-14, 21-17. I don't think that that's going to be a game plan at all next season. I think that they're going to go out there. They're going to take shots with Pat Shermer. They're going to try and move the ball down the field. Like when they get the ball like less than two minutes to go at the end of the first half, they're going to be super aggressive. They're going to let things rip with Drew Locke. I mean, you want to talk about a winner in the NFL draft when you look around the NFL? The winner of the NFL draft is Drew Locke. And now the pressure is on him to be like, okay, now you've got all these weapons. Now you've got to come out here and put some points up on the board. And I expect that to happen. I mean, I really think that I like the, the way Drew's approached this offseason. When I talked to him, he was saying that he's attacking each day. He's going to be going into, you know, He's going into these workouts. He's throwing the ball in his backyard. He's got his quarterback coach in Kansas City working with him. You know, I just think that there's no reason for Drew Locke to not come back his, his sophomore year, really improve. Now he's got all these weapons. I think the Broncos could average like 35 points a game next year. That's too much. That's too much. Uh, you know, let's start with 24, 25, I don't think 26. so, Eric. Man, I think they're really going to get after it. I, it'd be nice. I just, I think it's going to take Judy some time. I think it's going to take KJ Hamler some time. I think it's going to take Albert O a little bit of time. And, you know, what we saw, what we've seen the last two years with Pat Shermer's offense in New York is that the first, I think it's like the first five or six weeks, they averaged like 17, 18, 19 points. And then the rest of the year, they took a jump that was, you know, then they were up around 28. And so, especially with no in-person off-season program, especially if training camp is impacted in some way by this, it's quite possible that you could see – it could be rough for the first few weeks. And that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way for the whole season. But um, I just – I would be shocked if they come out of the gate in week one and are scoring 35 points. Well, maybe not out of the gate, but maybe over the course of the season, that's where their average is somewhere in there. Uh, obviously, that would be really high. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that that's like a lofty goal, but I think that that's not like uh, I don't think that's like insane to talk about just because like at the end of last season with the weapons that they had, they were scoring in the mid twenties. So I don't think it's out of the realm to say, okay, maybe when you add in some of the weapons that they added this off season, that they'd be able to score 10 more points a game. I mean, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's crazy. I mean, the, the Ravens last year averaged 33 points a game. They were number one in the NFL. So, okay, maybe 35 is a little bit high. Yes. Okay, fine. Only, maybe, only, maybe, one, only one team scored more than 30 points. Maybe, maybe that is a little bit high. Okay, I'll take it back down to 30 then. Fine. Gosh, only four teams, only five teams scored more than 28 points. I'm going to take it down. I'm going to say 30 points a game. You're still you're still too high, but I appreciate your uh, your excitement. I'm surprised the Chiefs actually on higher there. That's 28 points a game last year. So the 2013 Broncos, which is the best offense in history, averaged 38 points a game. 
Let's go, Eric. <laughs> and, you, and you're out here saying that Drew Locke is going to score 35 in his first four years as a starter. All right. All right. Let me let's let's turn it. I'll take I'll take a step back there. I just got a little bit excited, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and last year, Phil, they scored uh, an average of about 20, 21 points a game with Drew under center. So could it go up to 24 well, or 25? Okay. The three points against the Chiefs that it doesn't that it doesn't count. Let's so does the so does the so does the thirty eight points against the Texans. Yeah, that's an and plus five games is not an accurate sample size. So, uh, I I'm just saying I don't think that the Broncos are going to try and win games by by uh, time of possession and defensive play. Take the bad numbers out, but keep the good ones. So let me uh, go ahead and correct the record here. Instead of 35 points a game, I think that they can average somewhere around 26 points per game. That's what I said from the beginning. I said 24, 25, 26. You're out here. They're going to score 50 points a game. And there you have it. A unique prediction from yours truly. One that is my thought all alone, that the Broncos will score an average of 26 points a game. There you Perfect. have it. Perfect. There you have it. It's on, It's been recorded. <laughs> You're something else. But I, I, in all seriousness, I do think that the approach is going to change, though. You know, that they've been, they've, uh, they've indicated every possible way this offseason that they want to be an explosive team on offense. They changed offensive coordinator. They attacked the offseason, the, the draft with weapons. They've got speed. I, I think that they want to be that kind of team. Whereas maybe some other teams chasing the Chiefs are like, look, the way to play them is time of possession and defense. I think the Broncos are going after them with by scoring points. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think you've got to do that to make Vic Fangio's defense as good as it can be because his defense thrives on rushing the passer and putting quarterbacks in bad positions. So if teams have to score to keep up with you, uh, you're in better shape there. I did think it was interesting, Phil, because we talk about this a lot. Someone asked Vic Fangio on uh, Saturday, hey, do you need to score points to beat the Chiefs? He said, we got to score points to beat everybody. And so it's not just about the Chiefs. Maybe you're like – Maybe you're trying to compete with them for the division title, uh, but you're t- it sounds like they're trying to light up the scoreboard against whoever they play and not have this approach the, as the last few years where they're, you know, ground and pound. I mean, we heard that when Vic Fangio was here, or excuse me, when Vance Joseph was here, he said, you know, we're going to run the ball and we're going to play good run defense and we're going we're to win low-scoring games. And that, to me, never resonated because I don't think that's how you win in the NFL. And it sounds like Vic Fangio and John Elway are now back toward, hey, let's light up the scoreboard. And I'll just say, I do think that the Chiefs sort of changed the way NFL football is being played on the offensive side of the ball. And people are are copying some of that. So maybe uh, the Chiefs are, they provided a blueprint on how to put up points. I mean, the 2007 Patriots had a blueprint on how to put up points The 2013 and 14 Broncos did the same thing. I mean, it, it works for the chiefs because they have a really good quarterback. I mean, that's the blueprint. If anything, I think the Ravens are trying a different offense. Well, of course they are. Yeah, of course they are. 
Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's our uh, thoughts there on the 2020 NFL draft. Hopefully you enjoyed some of our insight and maybe what you can expect from the team moving forward next season. Eric, I think you and I both agree this is a playoff team. Yeah, it has to be, Phil. I mean, this – and 10 wins. To me, that is – like, let's not even talk about 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven and sneaking in the playoffs. I think this is at least at least a 10-win team. And obviously, we get around the team every year, and so people in Denver tend to have higher projections for the team than uh, the national media does. But with this offense and its potential added to – a really proven defense with a lot of good players, they're going to beat a lot of teams. Um, and I think they'll get back to the point where, especially when they play average teams or bad teams, they're going to beat them by quite a bit, you know, double digits. So uh, I'm excited. I think a, a playoff win this year should be a goal. You know, I, I'm not saying this needs to be a Super Bowl or bust season because I think that's a little ridiculous, but. Hey, get to the playoffs, win a playoff game, and, and that's enough, I think. Are you in your car there, Eric? What are you? The, the neutral zone is, you know, the neutral zone is uh, remote today. Nature walk. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, I do admit that every year around this time, we're like, this team is going for it all. Like, we build up the hype a lot. We drink the Kool-Aid. But I do think that with the draft that they had, with the, with the way that this roster has been built over the last few years, I really do think that the Broncos, after a, a bit of a drought here, will be back in the playoffs in 2020. I mean, we weren't, we weren't too far off last year. We said nine and seven last year. And, you know, they had three or four just absolutely heartbreaking losses. Um, obviously, you, have, you had a win against the Raiders that could have gone either way. But, I mean, if one of the Chicago, Jacksonville, Indy, Minnesota, those could have gone – a different way and you know seven nine eight and eight nine and seven those are all right in the we did a pretty good job last year i think okay i, I like that pat ourselves on the back i like it yeah yeah uh eric before we uh before we wrap this bad boy up you got any shout outs oh it's been a while phil just think uh shout out to uh to liz manis of course of course but um I think uh, shout out to, to us and to uh, our department. It's we had kind of a unique situation this year where we're, we weren't around the the war room, we weren't around the facility, uh, and it was kind of a challenge. I thought to find ways to to bring unique and exciting content to fans, and um, I think we did a pretty decent job. Yeah, uh, make sure that you check out all this stuff. DenverBroncos.com, the Denver Broncos official mobile app. Uh, all of the social channels, a lot of really cool uh, interviews, insight, projections, analysis, everything that you really want. Uh, we got it all covered there. I think that Eric, you wrote what uh, fifty-seven stories uh, over the on, night, on night one, yeah. Night, yeah, just night one. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we covered it a lot. And I was just going to say, shout out, you know, really to the NFL. We heard. John Elway really uh, compliment Roger Goodell for sticking to his guns and uh, moving forward with the draft. I think it provided a welcome distraction. Uh, I don't know about you, Eric, but it, it felt good to just sort of watch and be excited about, you know, uh, the season. And, uh, you know, before the draft started, all, all of my thoughts were like, hopefully there is a season. Hopefully 
there's a training camp, you know, we'll see what happens. And I don't know about you, but at least for the three days of the draft, I was excited and I sort of was like approaching everything as if there was going to be a season. So um, if it was only temporary, you know, I enjoyed the distraction. And uh, I think that every year the draft brings some hope and excitement and uh, you look forward to the future. And I think that as a country uh, that was needed. And uh, I thought it was really cool to be able to see everybody's homes. I know that you enjoyed seeing Cliff Kingsbury's home. Uh, and that was incredible. You know, but even John Elway said after the draft that, it, hey, it was cool because my kids were there and they got to see how I do the draft. So, um, you know, we saw Bill Belichick look human a little bit. With that was a dog. That was a dog, not a human. I know that, but he looked like, a you know, just a normal guy hanging out with his dog. So uh, named, named Nike. He said Nike has good speed. I liked that. <laughs> so yeah. I really enjoyed the draft. I thought that it was cool. Uh, even Goodell said after the draft that, you know, working under these circumstances forced us to change and adapt. And they learned some things about the way that they do the draft that maybe even in, under normal circumstances, they'll try to uh, uh, bring into the fold. So I think that uh, I thought it was a, it was a great three days and uh, I really enjoyed how everything was done. So. Yeah. And then of course, uh, still another shout out to all these first responders, everyone still uh, in this battle against COVID and, and to people for staying home. I mean, I feel more optimistic about the season happening right now than I have uh, probably for the last month and a half. I mean, we saw NBA teams are going to be able to open their facilities starting May 1st. Some states are starting to lift their stay-at-home orders um, gradually. Uh, do I think that we're going to have stadiums full of tens of thousands of people by September? Probably not. But, you know, Phil, I, I'm optimistic that the season will still uh, go on. Well, I think one thing that the NFL showed that was uh, – even under circumstances like this, you have to adapt. You have to figure out a way to, uh, you know, uh, push forward. And uh, if they have to do that with the season, I'm sure that they're going to have some people thinking of ways to have some contingency plans to, to adapt and see if they can actually play football. But I don't think that they're going to do anything that puts anybody's safety at risk. So that's the first and foremost. you got to make sure that it's safe you got to make sure that it's safe for the players, for the staff, and for the fans. So uh, whatever, whatever that, that they need to do to make that possible, uh, I think that they're probably working on plans to see how, how they can do that. I think that they're going to move forward with the schedule release here in a couple of weeks. That'll be the next big thing that the NFL does. But, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, hopefully things can start to get back to normal. The Broncos start their virtual meetings on Monday and uh, they're going to attack that the best way they can to make sure that, uh, you know, when they do get to hit the field, they'll be able to uh, do that run. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, the plan is in place and now we'll just see, we'll just see what happens. Wait and see. So that is going to do it for us here on the neutral zone. Uh, I think we, uh, 90, 90 minutes is uh, good enough, Eric. Uh, I think so. For now, yeah. For now. For now. We'll be back later this week uh, as we try to uh, continue our coverage of the draft and see what the Broncos do moving forward. Until then, for Eric Dalala, 
I am Phil Milani, and this has been The, the Neutral Zone. The Neutral Zone.